Swanson to first. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are Super Bowl 55 champions, led by Tom Brady. The long wait has ended after a half century. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions once again. And lightning has struck twice. And the Tampa Bay Lightning are back-to-back Stanley Cup champions. Episode number 96, the Tomas Holmstrom, the Demolition Man. Episode 96 of For Future Considerations. Not a lot in there on uh, 96, but it doesn't get better than Homer, that's for sure. That's a good one. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, Homer was the was the man. Have you ever seen a guy that big that had the hands that he did in front of the net and really didn't give a shit who was hacking away at him? He just stood there and took it. <laughs> he got hit by the puck more than the goalie did oh, yeah. if he was on the ice. Oh, yeah. But that's he good. Was, It'd drop at his feet, and then he'd yep. swing around and, and score. Just turn and bang it in. Oh, yeah. He was a, he was a beauty. Um, for future considerations, hi, everybody. Welcome. Join us. Matt, Manny, John, how are you guys doing today? Good. Good. Did we do Did we do a player for 95? We didn't. Episode 95 earlier in the week? We did not. There wasn't really a lot to pull from. Richard Dent is the one that stands out as the great one that wore uh, number 95 but he he was pretty good that's a good one i had miles garrett okay, okay. i had uh miles garrett's a good 95 mm-hmm. there's not a lot of hockey players in there no not a lot of 95 jerseys i had to look it up i got the sergey barison oh <laughs> so, my god no wow. wonder why that episode was a little overrated <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. It's great talking sports with you guys again. And if you missed episode 95, the Sergey Berezin episode, go back and listen to our great debate and conversation. And uh, we've got a lot more to talk about with a special guest on the show today, too. But before we do that, we got to talk about social media and our new polls again. Our while we're resuming our polls about the greatest sports movies of all time. Yeah, so we got through the Elite Eight, and Twitter shut us down because they were jealous. And so now (laughs) Twitter has reinstated our, our, uh, our account, and we're able to post some stuff. As you can see, when you follow us, Podcast FFC, that's on Twitter and Instagram. For future considerations is the uh, link on Facebook if you're interested in that. Um, but we got down to the final four. So just to set the table of where we are right now, uh, and we hadn't posted the results of this or gotten into the, the final results. So um, right now we have the winners of all four sports um, of the best movie of those categories. And we just did the main four sports, and then we'll read off the matchups as we go here. So. Uh, slap shot one in hockey. So it's a good choice. I like that best yep. hockey movie. Yeah. It beat out the mighty ducks, uh, in the, in the hockey final. That's uh, a good challenge. That's a good mm-hmm. challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Surprise in basketball. Um, coach Carter comes out as the favorite from the basketball category, beating out Hoosiers 67% to 33%. I'm surprised by that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I'm surprised by that. Yeah. Me too. 
Me too. Uh, to, if you didn't know if Shane Tabalovic is on Twitter, he has to be because somehow in some world, Major League beat Field of <laughs> Dreams as the best baseball movie of all time. Wow. So, which is embarrassing. Do you remember how earlier in the week we said fans shouldn't be allowed to vote? This yeah. is exactly why. Right here. This is what democracy looks like. It's massive. Come on, Joe Boo, every day of the week. Come on. Over Field of Dreams? <laughs> it was just James Earl Jones's birthday not that long ago. You're going to do that on his birthday? <laughs> How many accounts does Shane have? How, did he vote? use all of his accounts to he's vote got, in He's got pool? some burners. He's got some burner accounts. It's funny. <laughs> you can see how many votes get, get tallied in each one. Uh, so we had a fair amount of votes, and then you can even go a little bit further and see like where those votes were tabulated. And, and like 80% of them were in strip clubs. So I can only assume... <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's why we got that, shut down for a bit. <laughs> maybe, maybe. A lot of, a lot of pings in certain, uh, in certain areas, funny enough. Maybe but. the ladies just love us. It could be that. They, Maybe they love the Charlie Sheen. They like the bad boy. They, they're big major league fans. So uh, that's that one. And then in the football one, um, it's uh, it's Rudy uh, that won over, remember, the Titans, 54% to 46%. So Ooh, that was the close. Four. Yeah, we're going to the final four. We're going to the final four with Slapshot against Coach Carter and Major League against Rudy. Wow. Is what those matchups are going to be. So we are going to post uh, those brackets on Saturday, uh, so you can go in and, and and vote for those as many times as you like. Clearly, and uh, if <laughs> and we're going to do this for two days because now we're in the final four for Saturday and Sunday. It's going to be open. You can go in and vote. Uh, tell your friends. Share it on your your profiles. Let's get as many votes as we possibly can in this to make it fair. Uh, Adam Hooper, then, remember, two days only. Yeah, Adam Hooper. Oh, uh, and he he was surprised. He'll be surprised by the major league one too, for sure, because uh, any real baseball fan would be. But um, the and then so Saturday and Sunday we're going to do the final four. Monday and Tuesday we're going to do the championship round. And then our next episode, episode 97, uh, I don't know anybody that wears 97 off the top of my head uh, in, in sports at all. Um, <laughs> uh, <so. laughs> Only everybody. <laughs> Only everybody. <Yeah>. So, <laughs> so we'll do, we'll recap the final on Wednesday. But that's where we're at right now. It's that it's going to be slap shot against Car Coach Carter and Major League is going to face off against Rudy. So Rudy beat, remember the Titans, was that the narrowest margin in the Elite Eight? Um, so major league and uh, major league beating Field of Dreams and Rudy beating Remember the Titans were they were all pretty narrow except for the Coach Carter one, which is the the strangest one. So Rudy wow. won by at fifty four percent. Major league won at fifty four percent. Slapshot won at fifty seven percent, and Coach Carter won at sixty seven percent. Wow! Wow! So Shane and Samuel L. Jackson took over our Twitter accounts and voted. <laughs> <laughs> Major League and Coach Carter. The storylines, like a comedy versus a drama, right? In each Major yeah. League versus yeah. Rudy, Slapshot versus Coach Carter. Slapshot right? versus Coach Carter, yep. Yeah. Okay, so Podcast FFC is our Twitter handle. Look for those polls Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday.
Now, let's get on to our second show of the week. That's right. And if you didn't listen to the first episode earlier this week, it was our debate show where we talked about the NHL All-Star Game and the biggest snubs. And then we had the Novak Djokovic debacle. And we also made our predictions for the next round of the NFL playoffs. Yes, and the second show of the week, which we call The OT, is where we invite a special guest to the podcast to talk some more sports, and we got a great one today. This guy played in four different professional hockey leagues around the world, the NHL, the IHL, the AHL, and the German League. He also played in the OHL, where he was named the best overage player in 1995. In fact, he played four seasons in the Ontario Hockey League and set a record for the Windsor Spitfires franchise with 467 career points. He is also the OHL all-time assists leader. His number nine is retired at the WFCU Center, where he is now the general manager and vice president of hockey operations for the Spitfires. Please welcome to For Future Considerations, Bill Bohler. Bill, long time no see. How how, how have you been? All good, buddy. Thanks for having me. Uh, just dealing with a lot of uh, COVID protocol, etc. at this time, but it's uh, we're playing hockey, so that's a good thing. Yeah, how has it been running a junior hockey franchise in the middle of a pandemic? Uh, there's been challenges. Uh, I'd like to pretend everything's rosy, but it's uh, when you're dealing with uh, an organization and being a general manager, you you have to oversee a, a few different areas, and it's just been real difficult, most, most obvious for the players. Uh, these young guys trying to make a career out of the game, um, to have it derailed for this long has been you know, real tough on them, um, and that's obvious. But the real other issue is just day-to-day. Young people to be uh, not being able to be out and uh, whether it just be simply exercising or doing something they love and playing hockey, et cetera, et cetera. That's, that's been real tough on not only the young people but staff in general. People are getting real tired of this. And uh, so, yeah, it's been a, a bit of a challenge the last couple of years. Um, we're still battling. Uh, I'm confident we'll get through it, um, but it is. It's been tough on the, on our group. Yeah, it's you know it's it's tough enough to play in the OHL, right? Night in, night out, week in, week out, and now you have to deal with a pandemic in the middle of a hockey season. How do you keep players focused? How do you keep the team focused on the overall goal? Or have you had much to do with that? Yeah, you're always you know you're engaged with your players. You're always talking to them. Um, the uncertainty, though, <coughs> excuse me, is what's is challenging. They're just You never know uh, what your practice may look like if a kid um, may or may not be uh, present, staff, etc., etc., uh, knowing if we're going to play a game, if we're not, uh, and obviously the lockdowns in the province, whether it be, you know, going to the rinks or school, etc., etc. We, we try our best, and we have resources here to support uh, our players and staff, billets, etc. So the key for us is to always be involved, uh, stay on top of the, the players and know that they're, they're a phone call away uh, or a visit, uh, a conversation if needed. So that's been the key for us, to be present in everyone's uh, life uh, if they choose to, to want to engage and, and have the Spitfires involved. But um, it can get a little tired, a little lo- lonely for these people, uh, staff included. So uh, we're all in it together. You keep hearing that uh, comment, but the reality is, especially in a team sport, uh, 
pretty easy when things are going well to to be motivated to, to have a smile on your face but it, it, the true character and the true test of uh, whether or not organizations people teammates truly care it's when things aren't going well and it's uh, from the top from ownership all the way down to to my position that uh, that's a mandate of ours is to make sure our people are taken care of and we're doing our best you said something earlier at least you're playing hockey how difficult was it last year when you couldn't even get on the ice yeah, crazy. It's, you know, everyone has a different opinion of what's safe, what's the right thing to do. Uh, I'm going to avoid all that, but the problem we had for our players here in Ontario was to witness what was going on around the world uh, in other provinces, uh, just south of us across the river, obviously in America, and to see all these athletes and people living, playing, performing, um, getting an opportunity to showcase their skills for whether it be NHL, university teams, etc. That was the biggest problem and issue for our group. And uh, it's, you know, it was something that our players, you know, the ramifications, I don't know if when we'll really find out how severe or serious those uh, implications will be in the fallout of not playing. But uh, while we were sitting here watching other leagues, other countries play hockey, uh, in a safe manner, that was extremely difficult for for us. So many ways we can go with this interview. Let's go back in history and, and talk about your playing career, Bill. How, how do you remember your four years in the OHL? Again, I was very fortunate to come to an organization that um, welcomed me, wanted me. Um, I did my part and performed, but... Um, I was given a, a, a great opportunity to, to do what I do, and uh, my coaches and teammates allowed me to do that. So um, for four years, I, I played and lived in Windsor, and uh, I had a great time. Uh, obviously, I, I came back to, to coach the team. I live here now, and now as my role as GM, uh, I only have fond memories of the Spitfires and the community. Um, and, you know, we just passed a trade deadline and I, you know, everyone thinks this is fantasy hockey or you're just moving pieces around. But th this, these are people, these are teenagers. And I remember dealing with it when I was, you know, 16 to 20 and I wanted to be a Spitfire. I had no desire to leave. I was asked to be traded and go maybe join championship clubs, et cetera, et cetera. And um, the reality was I was dead set on trying to be a, a champion here in Windsor and for the Spitfires and um, so to answer your question obviously uh, I had a blast here in Windsor it allowed me to become a professional hockey player um, and gave me so much more and you know just off off the ice as well on the ice it, it's evident uh, where I played etc but um, everything it's given me uh, allowed me to be again be a professional and financially uh, Nothing better than going to work every two weeks and getting paid to play hockey. So I owe the Windsor Spitfires a great deal. That last year, though, you guys were pretty close. 40 wins, 94-95. That year, you put up 135 points, 102 of them assists. The Junior Red Wings won that year. But how close was that Windsor team? No, exactly. We were real good. And, you know, it's such a fine line. And there's 20 teams in our league now. There'll be 19 losers again this year. So it's you're you're a post away. You're an injury away. Um, 
but anybody who wins, there's obviously a lot that goes into that too. We were a real good hockey club, obviously not good enough for whatever reason. Looking back, you're just a hockey player trying to do your part. Um, but we were we had a lot of talented hockey players, and uh, for whatever reason, we didn't get it done. But uh, looking at some of the names there, uh, guys went on to have some illustrious careers. So real good team, but at the end, obviously didn't get it done. What was it like playing at the old Windsor Barn? What's your best memory about playing in the barn yeah no we could uh as beautiful as the wfcu center is and all these new facilities and um everything that comes with a a new building the atmosphere of windsor arena you know you hear it every day there's it rivals no other arena in this province i don't care what anyone says and when obviously all our spitfire friends and alumni get together that's all we talk about is uh the patrons, uh, I know this isn't uh, the golf, they're the masters, but our patrons or our fans at <laughs> Old Windsor Arena were absolutely amazing. Um, this the history of the building and just walking into that little barn up the couple steps there to get onto the ice and the fans over top of you and the characters in the building and, you know, just walk into the dressing room. I guess that was the be- one of the funniest or the best things you remember. There's so many stories, but... After every period, you literally walk through fans, like, and whether or not it was a good period or bad period, they let you know, and uh, very funny, and people smoking, and just right through everybody. So I can go on and on, but it, it was an amazing, fun, fun place to play hockey. Uh, I'm sure if you ask some of the visiting teams, a real intimidating building was, like I said, fans literally over toppy and uh, not afraid to. We've seen some of the old videos in part where fans actually were involved and were kind of part of the fisticuffs, and it wasn't a big deal. It was acceptable back then. and So, yeah, a lot of good laughs, but uh, we had good teams too, scored a few points in that building, so had a lot of fun. That was an advantage, Bill. Like, as being the the road broadcaster, I was getting hit by pennies. That was just tips for you, right? That's it. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's like you said, you can't make it up. You're just looking back now, if you told somebody that's what went on and the visiting team, like literally they're getting their bus it was shaking on the way in and out of the building. It was just a, a different time, a lot of fun. Uh, you know, in my, I could speak for my four years, it wasn't so serious that anyone was getting hurt or nothing so egregious, but a uh, ton of fun, ton of characters and great memories. You were a Mississauga boy. What, what was your first memory of Windsor that you can remember? Like when you, you stepped on the ice. Manny, there. I'm going to have to correct you just because all my people back in East York, Ontario, would be furious. Uh, oh, of course. I did play with the Mississauga <laughs> Reps a hockey team when I was a young man, but uh, I'm an East York, Toronto kid. And, uh, yeah, coming to Windsor. <laughs> sure, East York, GTA boy, GTA yeah, boy. I'm a Toronto right. guy, and uh, when I first walked in and had my hat on backwards and I had funny pants on, I remember uh, – not only my teammates, but my GM asking me what the heck was going on. And I honestly <laughs> took offense to it. I was like, what What do you talk? This is my wardrobe. What do you, this is how I dress. So stop critiquing it. Just let me, it's none of your business what I'm wearing. Like, wait, you know, I didn't ask for to change my uniform on the ice. This was me walking into the building. Anyway, so yeah, no, Toronto kid. And when I first came to, like I said, Windsor for a visit, um, you know, you just, your eyes were open. You just, I my older brother played in junior B down here, uh, ended up getting a scholarship NCAA player. And so I had a bit of uh, knowledge of what Windsor was kind of about. 
Uh, and then I came to a camp, and then obviously I came to training camp, went to 80 Knox Arena there for a couple days. Wasn't really sure I was going to be an OHL or if I was going to go the NCAA route or play in the O. And, and so I took four or five days to go back home and then make my decision. But uh, obviously uh, the Spitfires in the community won me over because I, uh, I went, thought about it with my family, and then obviously started my uh, OHL career shortly thereafter. And here you are, the franchise record for the Spitfires for career points, all-time record for assists in the OHL. What do those records mean to you? Yeah, no, they obviously real proud moments. They will be broken. Um, so in the interim, you just enjoy it as long as you can. But um, obviously never the goals, not even knowing. You just showed up and played hockey. And I tell the story and, you know, Adam Gray's wore number nine. I wore number nine in minor hockey. The trainer asked me what number I wanted. I said number nine. It wasn't out of disrespect. It was just I was coming to play hockey and there was never a thought that I'd put up points or you just always wanted to perform. Obviously, that was my my forte or that's what I thought I was decent at was getting points. But um, there was never that goal when I first stepped on Windsor's ice was to break Blair Barnes records or etc etc it was strictly performed to my ability i i'm coming from the gthl at the time or it was the mthl it was arguably or is and still is the best league in the world and i was having a bit of success in minor hockey so i assumed things would just translate and carry over and that's how i i looked at things so um yeah no those records are something a lot of people contributed to and i can't honestly i got a lot of ice for you know, I might have deserved some of it, but just the timing, and you see it in today's game and when rookies come into our league, just opportunity. I was so fortunate to play with real good players and get opportunity to play. I remained healthy, and that's half the battle. Anytime you're going to get any type of record, you you got to have good fortune by staying healthy, and I was very, very lucky to, to play a lot of hockey games in this league. Now, come on. You said something there that I don't think is right. You think... Your franchise record for points is going to be broken 467, Bill. Next closest guy is 314. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> there'll be a guy like me that doesn't back check and goal sucks and waits around the net. So, no, it's yes, of course. The game constantly changes, and you know, you, no one would ever think any record's ever going to be broken at the time. So, honestly, yes, it, it will. There'll be some guy in. Unfortunately, a lot of the players now, I was never good enough or accepted or invited to play in any world junior. So I, I never missed 9, 10 games at Christmas like some of these elite players do. Um, they take players away. The reality, too, <clears throat> I, I decided to play an overage season. I had an opportunity to turn pro after my, my third season, um, but it just didn't make sense for me. So could it be, could it uh, last a little longer? The record, sure, but when I see some of these players coming up and the skill sets and the way power plays are clicking nowadays, there's going to be some guy come in here and uh, put up some crazy numbers. And you're seeing it this year with Wyatt Johnson. He's almost, I think he's two points a game now. And, you know, a couple years ago, that was unheard of. But back when I played, guys were getting two points a game. So the game evolves, the game changes. Uh, yes, I'd like to hold on to this just a little longer just because it's uh, a good way to introduce me. But no, it's going to be broken up. <laughs> I'm going to be happy to shake whoever's hand it is, and hopefully I'm present when that uh, when that happens, just like Blair Barnes was with me when I broke his record. 
Bill Bowler is our guest, the GM and Vice President of Hockey Operations for the Windsor Spitfires. You talked about going pro, and you played in different cities pro. Vegas, Houston, Hamilton. You were with the Manitoba Moose, Syracuse, Milwaukee, Norfolk. Do you have a favorite city out of that group? Yeah, no, you... Look at them again. It's very simple. What the, playing in Las Vegas back in the middle of the '90s was absolutely insane. It was the uh, so fun. You see what goes on there now, and you know, honestly, back in the day, very similar. As crazy as that might sound, obviously there wasn't eighteen thousand people at the building, but uh, we were supported, and and you know, just living in that type of environment, that climate, and then everything that when you left the rink, what that had to offer. And uh, that was the old IHL days too. So we were in our division. You had teams like Phoenix, Los Angeles, San Francisco. So you're flying into different cities, playing different communities and enjoying yourself. And so, yeah, no, looking back Vegas, but honestly, you look at other places and it's where you are in your life and how you're performing that, you know, contributes to whether or not it's a, a good place. For me, Vegas was my first pro uh, contract or my first time playing professional uh, I had a bit of success and it, it it just was a lot of fun playing on a real good team but another place that sticks out for me is Winnipeg um, so Mark Chipman Craig Heisinger Randy Carlisle were running the club at that time and um, obviously Winnipeg and Las Vegas are different places but the way we were treated in Winnipeg and you see it today with the Jets it's the same ownership um, just top-notch first-class uh, individuals that um, in my time in Winnipeg they they did it right they treated pe- people properly uh, their staff their players so I had a real fond fond memories of uh, of Winnipeg as well everybody says that about Winnipeg you trade in the shorts for the parka though that's just two different cities did you always know Vegas was going to get an NHL team like from that experience <clears throat> Well, they, back then they used to have the exhibition games there. I remember L.A. was playing teams at Caesars. And so, yeah, just – and when Vegas blew up there and, you know, over a million people and it was the fastest-growing city in America, it's still maybe, I'm not sure, but it was just a matter of time and the Southwest was going crazy with hockey with Dallas and uh, the Anaheims and that were coming back in in the day. And So, yeah, no, Vegas is uh, – it's a sports community and – you know, the the, people, the thing that people don't understand about Las Vegas is it's an actual city. There's schools and people going to work. Uh, you know, it's not just the script. So, and as that's the beauty of Vegas is you can live in a community, yet if you still have that, that nightlife and the strip or downtown to go to. But in every other little pocket and community in Vegas, they have men's league hockey, slow pitch, your local grocery store, bar, et cetera, et cetera. So Vegas to me is... Uh, an amazing place you're close to the mountains to go skiing you're three and a half hours to the ocean it's just an amazing place and when things are going well you're playing a game you love you're getting paid to play hockey it was it was a lot of fun tell us about being called up from syracuse to the columbus blue jackets do you what do you remember about that moment yeah that again it was uh an amazing you know just gratification and a finally there done it um, you know, when you first play in OHL hockey and that, you, you look at your peers and you just think, okay, I'm, I can do this. And um, when you're a young person, you're, that's the dream. Every kid playing street hockey is, is thinking that they, 
will be on that ice. So once you actually step on it and you feel you've accomplished something, it was a, no question a real proud moment. Um, you know, I was a little older at the time, so I probably didn't enjoy it or take it all in as much as I should have. I was more like finally as opposed to this is awesome. Um, but no, it's like anything. You've, you're one of a select group to, to play at that level, and um, it was a real proud moment, not only for me, but everybody knows this and says this, but it's so true. The amount of time and effort and commitment that your mom and dad and brother put into your career or your dreams, it's, it's without them, it doesn't happen. So as much as it felt good for me, I think uh, the family really enjoyed that as well. And then you ended up in Germany for seven games. How did that happen? Yeah, no, that, that's a long story. But uh, so unfortunately, I had a, an abdomen injury, which ended my career. Um, it actually started in pro. And uh, actually, when I was claimed off waivers by Nashville Predators after playing a few games with Columbus, I, I honestly, that was my opportunity. Um, I was claimed off waivers and the fee to do that was actually more than my salary so I believe the Predators thought I was a hockey player and uh, I went to camp and uh, to make a long story short I physically was unable to be the same player I was so I had an opportunity to go play and uh, I went to a year later Boston I failed my medicals in with the Boston Bruins and I just could not skate or be the same player so I had chances to go over to Europe uh, different places with uh, fewer imports um, but at the time that didn't make sense. So I, at the time in Europe, there was, I believe it was, they were allowed 12, uh, imports in Germany. It was halfway through the year, uh, insurance reasons allowed me to go over and play there. I ended up only playing seven games, but the beauty of that experience was I did get to play in the playoffs and end up winning a championship. Um, and I guess the beauty, a good part of that story is I kind of knew I was at the end. So I definitely didn't take anything for granted. I, you know, I, I think I was the best, I don't want to say I was the best player, at, I was the best teammate, I was the best player I could be. Um, I didn't perform as well, just obvious, for obvious reasons. I physically wasn't the same guy, but um, I really took advantage of what I could do and so lucky to play on a, a team that really came together. We were, you know, a 7-8 seed and we ended up winning the whole thing and a bunch of guys came together under Butch Goring and won that championship. So another place had a ton of fun. Um, it was just a, a new experience living in Germany, living in Europe was something I've never been to. I was never in Europe and to see that lifestyle and to see um, those fans and the way they supported their teams two hours before singing, before we even get to the building. Yeah, I can go on and on, but an amazing time in Germany and I still have uh, the great memories of, of winning that championship. Yeah, and you helped put them over the edge. You won a championship. You won a ship, right? There you go. Yeah. Um, when did you know, Bill, that you wanted to move into coaching and management in hockey? Again, because my career came to an abrupt end, it, it kind of forced me into this is what I knew. I was a hockey player. I thought I was uh, the way I played. You know, I I, I didn't necessarily outmuscle or, you know, I kind of used my thinking or brains to get around the rink and so that was kind of, I was not, I don't want to say I was forced into coaching, but when I, again, the hockey came to an end, I needed to make a living. I needed to keep busy and uh, it just made sense to, to get into the coaching. And so I was back home and um, I just 
like anything, I wanted to start from the bottom, similar to a player, and I got involved with minor hockey, tried to learn how to be a good coach or just see if I liked it. And once I got involved there with the Don Mills Flyers, I, I got hooked and you were still a part of a team, all those things that guys like me or athletes and hockey players love, you still had that. You still had the camaraderie, you still had the jokes in the locker room, and you were part of a team competing a couple nights a week. So that gave me that, uh, whatever that is, I needed to, you know, just to to stay happy, um, had a bit of success, and then it obviously led to the Spitfires and so on and so forth. What has been the biggest difference in the game that you've seen since you played 25 years ago? Um, obviously the style of play, the what was allowed back when I played and, you know, the intimidation and the physical toll it necessary to play and get through a hockey game back then was, it was it's crazy. It's, uh, you know, we all were in the same situation, meaning we all trained similar, so it's what's going on in today's athlete. He's a machine. He's, you know, obviously in better shape, and the conditioning on and off the ice is different. Video's way different now, but... I guess the biggest difference for me is the physicality in the game and when you have the hockey puck today you're actually allowed to try to do something with it back uh, when i played you had to go through a couple men holding on to you and uh, not saying i was ever near the net but for those guys that did go near the hockey net it was a, a dangerous place where you sure really had to pay a price whereas in today's game it's still a physical game don't get me wrong i don't want to take anything away from these guys that are taking abuse near the net and that, but for some reason back in the day, you were allowed to literally beat up a guy if he wanted to go near that net. And uh, so that, for me, that's the biggest difference, just around the net, the physicality around the net and uh, coming up the rink. You were allowed to maul a guy and hold on to him if you wanted to, whereas today it's a, it's a two-minute minor if your stick touches a shin pad. Well, that's why you liked having Jovanovski on your team, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, no, and, the, uh, and you, you put up 200 assists in one year now, Bill, playing today. No, yeah, who knows? Uh, <laughs> guy like Eddie, though, that's an amazing hockey player, great guy, and uh, to see what he did after he left Windsor, and uh, as we mentioned earlier, he obviously is one of the names that uh, we had a real good team, and like everybody, you have good players, but in order to win, you need a lot of good fortune and you need a lot of good players. So, no, Eddie did it all and uh, arguably the best Spitfire of all time, if you ask me. Wow, that's, that's pretty high praise coming from the franchise points leader in Windsor Spitfire's history. You know, you talked about the change in the game, Bill. When you're scouting 15, 16, 17-year-olds, you're obviously looking at skill. But what other intangibles do you look for now in young players? It's, uh, you're, again, competitiveness. When things are, like we said earlier, when things are good, everyone can play. And if you're up in a goal, but when things are challenging and you're performing against somebody as good as you, or a team's, you know, a little better than you, to see a player and see how he performs, that's something I really tried my best to look at. It's hard to find, especially with tournaments and scheduling, but um, that, that, that's a, a real key thing for me is how to, how to watch to see if people can, can compete um, at the right times. Uh, the obvious one now is skating. Um, you know, it, it's... It's so uh, apparent when somebody can't get around the rink uh, like the other guys are at keep at that pace and um, 
that's another one that jumps out. Having said that, I'm, I'm still one of the few guys I think that if you're real good at something, you still have a place in the game. And um, we're all not, like you said, uh, or I, I use Eddie Jovanovski that could do it all and Eric Lindros. Those guys are so far and few between that it's okay if you're a goal scorer and you, you're not maybe as fluid on the ice or not as good a skater, that's okay. Or you defend so well, but you've, you lack some offense. There's still a place in the game for people that aren't buzzing around or flying around the rink. Um, but again, you better be real, real good at something else if you're not moving, uh, moving your feet and can skate. Bill, I, I'm interested to know, because you mentioned some names, and I know from your past that you've had some great mentors that way from Butch Goring, Randy Carlisle, Mike Kelly, Dave King, just to name a few. But what kind of advice did you get that you still hold on to today as as you coach and you manage and GM and that sort of thing? Yeah, honestly, I use a bit of everybody that, and that's like any, you just try to get as much information and uh, get as many experiences as you possibly can. And I've had a ton, as most guys have that have played and I've been involved with coaching and that. And you just take bits and pieces out of everyone. Uh, I was lucky enough, Dave Tippett, who's still with the Oilers now, uh, I, I use some of his tactics. Uh, but again, for me, it's just what makes the most sense in making people feel a part of something. I, it sounds so simple. Um, but unfortunately, sometimes I don't think managers or coaches uh, truly uh, buy into that. And uh, I just use my own experiences. And if someone treated me good and made me feel a part of something, I I know I went above and beyond for them. And if someone tried to... Um, threaten me or intimidate me or bully me and use their power in a, a way that I you lost me at once you started talking to me I just so that for me that's basically it everyone wants to perform I think we you know you get to this level everyone wants to have success um, and so we just for me I'm just doing my best to put people in place that they enjoy coming to the rink whether they're a coach a trainer or a player. First and foremost, make it a safe uh, environment that, you know, people want to get better in. And if you're fortunate enough to get enough good people around, and uh, I'd rather get 20 guys that like each other. I like my chances of winning as opposed to 20 talented people. And uh, if you play hockey enough or you coach or you manage, you lose a lot. It's just the reality is only one team can win. And the one thing I know as a player when I won uh, as a coach, uh, I had some success as well. It's it's about a team coming together at the right time, and a lot of good things have to happen. But if you don't have that group that truly cares about each other and uh, and is kind of working together, it, it's impossible to, to have any success. And at the end of the day, to win, you need so many good things to happen. And for me, it's the easiest thing that I can control is making a good environment and that's my mandate as a manager. Last couple questions for Bill Bowler, the GM of the Windsor Spitfires. You just finished a number of making a number of moves to improve the Windsor Spitfires this season. Um, Andrew Parrott, Josh Curry, Alex Christopoulos, Jacob Millette, uh, Anuska and Goal. Um, how did that, I'm interested to know, how did that work this year? Was it any different than previous years because of the pandemic completing those moves? And and why did you make those moves? Yeah, no, it's, again, you, you're a hockey team. These are, this is a, 
an organization that prides itself, like I said, in taking care of people and and working with people. And if it makes sense to make a move, then ultimately I owe it to the group, the entire group. Um, but it's nothing that we choose to want to do. It's not a, a, something that you like doing. <coughs> but sometimes players want a different scenery, uh, change of scenery, excuse me. Uh, and sometimes it's just it's the right thing to do f for everyone involved. And as the manager, that is my duty is to take care of the group and if it makes sense to do it. So to answer your question, though, on deals during a pandemic, 100% it's challenging. It's But again, you just make decisions with what information you have. And um, the season can get shut down at any time. So is it worth risking moving a young player, an elite young player, is it worth risking losing picks? Because, again, the, the key for me is uh, the Windsor Spitfires will be here whether Bill Bowler's here or not or a player or coach. So we have to make sure we're in good standing at all times. And I really believe we can put a competitive team together that can challenge and be relevant uh, every year. And the last couple of years, we were ranked teams in the country. Um, this pandemic has played havoc with a number of things. And... Uh, hasn't allowed us really to see what we're all about and so this year I just wanted to make sure that you know we were relevant and we have a legitimate chance and then looking around the Western Conference uh, the pieces that we and sometimes you have to add just out of necessity sometimes it's uh, you just make moves because you think it's going to improve your club but we really are feel strongly that this team can compete with anybody in the West and that's the what we're playing with this year we don't even get to see the East so if we're fortunate enough to play that, and we're still playing hockey, and this province doesn't shut me down, or us down, sorry. We we like our chances in the West. Yeah, and, and you made those moves without giving up a young player or any of your top picks going forward. You acquired some picks that you moved, but you, you still got picks in each round for the next foreseeable future. And, and so, Bill, let me ask you a final question then. What will it come down to for this Windsor Spitfires team to be successful? Uh, is, it a, is it a position? Is it offense, defense, goaltending? Or is it just what you talked about, team chemistry? All of the above. We, we to say, if it was that easy, like I said, we've all won before and you see other teams that just repeat it. Well, it's not that simple. Otherwise, you would just do it. It's... And so we like our team this year. We like our team next year, too, on paper. It might be even better. So right now, for me, the health, that's, again, using your whole roster. We're going to play a ton of hockey games, so we're going to make sure uh, or try to. And sometimes it's out of your hands, too. An injury happens to the wrong player at the wrong time. It's too bad. Um, and things just happen. So you get enough good players around. You create the environment. Um good things can happen. If you would have told me we would lose John Luke Foody, our number one center, a year ago, I'd say that's for nothing. We didn't trade. We didn't get picks. We just lost him. I'd say that's that impossible. Yet we're still sitting here uh, fighting for the division conference title. And so to answer your question, we all have to come together. The one thing I do think about this group is there is growth still. We've had a ton of turnover. We have new coaches. And so it does take time, and we're slowly uh, becoming a team. And then, like I said, with those young players that have taken time off a year, we still have growth within. I think uh, some of our players can elevate just from maturity, but just being in the league and understanding kind of where they fit in and, and how to have success, I really believe there's still a lot of growth within that locker room to, to get better.
Bill, look forward to the second half of the OHL season. Thanks for skating down memory lane and uh, talking about the Windsor Spitfires. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks, Manny, for having me. Our thanks again to Bill Bowler, the GM and Vice President of Hockey Operations for the Windsor Spitfires, for joining us on the show. Great to skate down memory lane and talk about his career and the transition into management now. That's right. The Spitfires have a pretty good hockey team, don't they? Yeah, I think they'll be. Um, I think they'll be in the thick of it, at least in the Western Conference. Like the Sioux made some moves. London did not make any moves, mm-hmm. although they're always a pretty good team. Something's wrong with Kingston in the East. Hamilton is, I think, taking over the East uh, in the Ontario Hockey League. But as long as they can continue to play and nobody shuts them down, it should be a good finish to the OHL. In fact, for some teams. And John, you would know this because you're producing Owen Sound games. Some teams haven't even reached the midway point of the season yet. Yeah, there's a huge disparity between the amount of games that some teams have played. So they got to get all that straightened out. So it's a lot of hockey coming up in the OHL. Yep. Yeah, it'd be real interesting to see how some of those those fill uh, out, and it's interesting to see in in the Western Conference as well with with how the, those American teams are going to continue to interact with with the Canadian teams as we go. I know Flint has played a lot against Saginaw and Erie, and both of those teams are struggling right now, would not make the playoffs if the playoffs started today. And Flint is in a pretty good spot. So they might be uh, one of those teams too, that uh, if uh, if you draw them uh, sitting in fifth, which would be the Spitfires uh, opponent right now in the first round, if, if the playoffs were to end at the time that we, we had recorded this. So, um, you know, it'd be interesting to see how they fare in the playoffs considering who they've been playing for the majority of their season. Yeah, and and you wonder if teams are just going to run out of gas because they have to play so much in the second mm-hmm. half of the season. Mm-hmm. Hey, remember this being our second episode, go back and listen to our debate show earlier in the week, the Sergey Berezin episode, episode 95. If you missed that one, go back and have a listen. Uh, listen to our football picks and hold our feet to the fire this weekend as you watch the NFL playoffs. Yeah, and remember to follow us on social media. More great debate and content there, videos all the time. Make sure you share those, comment on those, all of that stuff. Podcast FFC on Twitter and on Instagram for future considerations on Facebook. Do not forget, Saturday and Sunday will be the semifinals, the final four round of the best sports movies of all time. Slapshot versus Coach Carter, Major League versus Rudy, uh, and then Monday and Tuesday we will decide the ultimate sports movie of all time for the big four, and then we'll have to talk about doing another one for the rest. Sounds good. That's right. And then remember, you can also send us your questions and comments and topics anytime by email for future considerations at gmail.com. Have you figured out a karaoke song yet, John? Ooh. You know what? I think it'd be fun. Kung Fu fighting. That'd be good. <laughs> <laughs> I'd pay to see that. I would too. I'd pay to, I'd pay to see you perform that I'm, I'm surprised you still haven't gone with the obvious one Rashad if you're going to do karaoke why don't you just do tequila <laughs> and sing the song too <laughs> we want to thank our sponsors on this episode Shane Topolovic of Next Level Athletics in Windsor specializing in sport training nutrition and wellness and London awnings quality that shows Thanks again for listening, everybody. Next week, episode 
97, we will reveal the winner of the best sports movie of all time as we get closer and closer to the century mark of mediocre episodes. Thanks a lot for listening to this one. <laughs> Talk to you next week on For Future Considerations. That was a disgraceful performance, in my opinion. In my opinion, that sucked. Their mentality's awful. Their attitude's awful. It's been their M.O. for the last three years. Tonight I saw and heard one of the most disgusting, rudest, sick demonstrations in my entire career. Probably the worst. It's garbage. And the editor that let it come out is garbage. You're still here? It's over. Go home.